Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Don't Waste Water podcast. I'm your host, Antoine Walter, and in today's episode, I am very pleased to welcome Stephen Cohn as my guest. Stephen is the CEO and founder of Wise Water, which is a company on a mission. They aim to provide simple, seamless devices to better conserve our most precious resource, aka water. You'll see that this week's episode has much to do with the hummingbird metaphor, and actually Stephen will tell us how water scarcity is unfortunately here to stay and what this involves politically but also in terms of water costs. But he'll also show us that we can all do something about it actually every day. He will guide us through his steps as he was conceiving his smart device and remind us of some truths about water that we too often forget within the comfort of our modern societies. You'll hear that we also discuss many other topics such as pitching, finding the right fit with investors, prototyping, defining the best go-to-market routes, behavior nudges or impact. Now, before letting our sponsor share his word, let's stay with the hummingbird metaphor. You can do your part too and help increase water and wastewater awareness. For that, please visit your favorite podcatcher and rate this podcast. I don't want to influence you, but five stars would be great. Then leave a review, exactly like Simon Kuzo did on Apple Podcast. Let me read it aloud. This podcast has a niche profile among the water podcasts out there by focusing on the innovative people and technologies in the wastewater industry. The topics are always interesting and the host and guests are top-notch. The only drawback I would mention is that sometimes the audio quality is a little spotty. Nonetheless, I look forward to a new episode every week. Thanks a ton, Simon Cuso, and let me tell you how much I praise your honest feedback. I'm going to do all my possible to keep improving our audio quality, and this starts right now with Steven's interview, which is up just after this. You're listening to Don't Waste Water, the podcast that helps water professionals to improve their wastewater treatment, optimize their operation costs, and keep up with the latest market trends. This podcast is brought to you by GF Piping Systems. As a leading supplier of piping systems made of plastics and metal, GF Piping Systems is the global expert for the safe and reliable transportation of water, chemicals, and gas. For more information, visit gfps.com. So hi, Stephen. Welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Antoine. Pleasure to be here. Well, actually, you know, I love starting with a postcard and being French, watching NBA from time to time. So I was thinking for once, I have someone from Brooklyn and Brooklyn seems to be the hot place this year when it comes to basketball. So um, how confident are you that you finally get that title this year? Uh, you know, it's so funny. I grew up being a Knicks fan. And the last time the Knicks were in the news, uh, I think it was because Reggie Miller was in the news. So it's nice to have not only some talent, but I would dare say uh, the newest super team in the NBA, you know, kind of around, around the corner. So looking forward to catching some games. Not that people would think that I turned that podcast into a sport podcast, but <laughs> you mentioned that the Knicks and the Knicks have a French guy, which actually grew up just some kilometers away from my home. So I was oh, like, wow. you know, he's going to be the next big star. And that didn't turn that good for him. So I, you have another French guy in the net. So I hope he's making better. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. But that being said, uh, let's focus on our topic of today. And actually, I'd like to start with you. I was reading your bio on, on LinkedIn and I was impressed by your path, to be honest. There are many ventures there. And 
from an outsider perspective, which is my perspective right now, I see sustainability, I see entrepreneurship, and I was wondering if that's a good summary to say that those two main areas define what you do today. So I was wondering, how would you introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, definitely. I would be thrilled if I was associated with being a successful, sustainable entrepreneur. I was studying sustainability without really realizing it before grad school. And then I actually got my master's in sustainability. Entrepreneurially, that's kind of come to fruition. You know, obviously the job market is not ideal these past few years, but I was looking to make a difference and I had a couple of great positions where I, I felt like I was in the right industry, right? Like I believe in solar. Obviously, I believe in energy efficiency. I believe in compost. You know, every, that should be most businesses should be incorporating all of those things, if not every home. But the opportunities in the job market were not giving me the autonomy or maybe the problem solving responsibilities I wanted. So without realizing it, I was kind of honing in on a bit more of a entrepreneurial endeavor. And I think that's kind of why I'm where I'm at now. So basically, you're creating that space that you didn't find somewhere else. So you are the change that you, you, you wanted to see, if I may resume it that way. In a very individual career sense, yes, sir, I am. I, you could definitely say that, trying to manifest my own ideal role. Yeah. Well, you know, it's the hummingbird metaphor. Uh, we all have to, uh, to do our part if we want to achieve something at the end. So exactly, you're doing your part. <laughs> I, I want, yeah, exactly. I want to be part of the team. So actually... I was intrigued by your subtitle on LinkedIn, which is Sustainable Entrepreneur. And if I want to be a bit provocative, I'm wondering if there is today an entrepreneur that could not be sustainable, because actually, yeah, sustainable covers this aspect of building something. So yeah, what's your take there? Shouldn't any modern entrepreneur be sustainable? You know, Antoine, that's so interesting that you say it like that, because This is the first time anyone's ever asked me that question or kind of posed it like that. I being a, I guess I'd consider myself a sustainable entrepreneur. That makes sense to me. However, no one's ever suggested it's redundant, which I think is great that you're, that you're putting it like that. Sadly, no. How many businesses out there are not doing right by the environment, are doing right by the community, are even doing right by as far as like the hourly pay and the, and the wages that their people are being paid, sadly. You know, every single corporation in their right mind is going to pay homage to the eco-friendly movement, sustainability, climate change. You just have, you know, we recently just had our Super Bowl. So if you want to watch, uh, you know, you, you see the most heartfelt community and, and hardworking folks-based commercial, and then it's, you know, Bank of America or Toyota or something, you know? <laughs> so it's So everyone acknowledges and wants to, as we say in the industry, kind of greenwash themselves. But I would say very few companies are actually walking the walk. Or I should say very few entrepreneurs are seeking out to be truly sustainable in the triple bottom line sense. Yeah, I'm hoping for the new generation of entrepreneur to be a bit different to that extent. But I think you nailed it. I think if you ask the average entrepreneur from 25 years ago, they'd say, what is sustainability? And now you're absolutely right. I think you'd be hard pressed to find a new modern entrepreneur under, you know, kind of in our age generation that is not incorporating some sort of sustainability and social awareness into their mission statement and their business model. Couldn't agree more. Let's hope at least that we are, we write on that because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's a worldview. <laughs> um, 
you also state that you're a problem solver and that's going to be my smooth transition. Watch me do that. Nice. <laughs> so <laughs> what is the problem that you aim to solve with your smart pedal? What a seamless segue. Thank you. Antoine, that's such a, that's like the number one question and it's twofold, right? So the smart shower device, my startup, uh, the smart shower by wise water is ultimately addressing two what we like to call pain points, right? You could talk about that in a sales point of view or a, a public service or, you know, a policy point of view. There's two pain points I'm trying to address with our startup. One, the dramatically increasing scarcity we find with fresh water. So if you look on uh, the UN, the United Nations website, they'll talk about the sustainable development goals, which are kind of shaping their, you know, kind of spearheading their efforts for the next decade. Many of them, I think like at least a quarter of them are water related. And a lot of them are doing, are related to water scarcity. Over 3 billion people go without water, uh, enough water throughout the year at certain times. And over a billion people live in agriculturally water scarce areas, which is the sort of thing that led to the you know, the civil war and eventual, you know, the water wars in ex, uh, in Yemen and then Bolivia a couple of years prior. So it's very quick where water scarcity is tied to national health and then national security, sadly, even more so than energy. And so obviously any and all devices that can seamlessly, without making people bend over backwards in their daily life, that can reduce our demand on fresh water supply every day is going to be huge. Getting those into houses is going to be one thing. Getting that into businesses that utilize a lot of traffic in this capacity. Now we're talking about a much larger ripple effect. So the one hand, our Wise Water Smart Char wants to affect water scarcity. We're hoping we're going to be one of many tools that addresses this growing concern. The second aspect, which is responded to the water scarcity, is the growing cost of water. That's, again, for home and facility owners and almost Half a dozen cities now in the U.S., we're looking at an average water bill of over $200 a month, which is not only a, I want to say, over 50% increase from 10 years ago, but also borderline unattainable for a lot of working class families. Not that there's a lot of working class families left in cities like New York and San Francisco, but this just reinforces that there's not a place for them in these cities, which is a crime in itself. So just adjacent, just immediately, you know, kind of, riding uh, the coattails of scarcity, we have a dramatic and growing increase in cost and therefore access to clean water. So again, any and all tools in the toolbox that can help reduce and conserve the usage of fresh water will then translate to a dramatic reduction in utility costs, whether that's for facilities and or homeowners. So our smart shower is hoping to, you know, trying to conserve fresh water and also conserve our utility bills in the same retrofit. That's the tool, but uh, let's define that tool. W what is it actually? How does that work? Ah, of course. So <laughs> what a great question. Thank you. Uh, so specifically, our Wise Water Smart Shower is a retrofittable device. It's actually self-powered by the water flow itself. And what you do is you, you take off your shower head, you put on this device, we're hoping it's going to be the size of roughly a you know, Coke can, maybe a little bit smaller, you, or a, a soda can rather. Then you put your shower head back on. Now it's fully installed. That's it. Once you turn the shower on, no water will actually come out. It's not until you hit our foot pedal that's on the ground. That's when the water is going to come out. Okay. So what this now does is it's turning a classically automatic and I'll dare say wasteful process into a manually controlled and conservation-based process. 
right? A lot of people, I think the average shower time is like, is like eight to nine minutes. We're using approximately three gallons a minute, right? So let's say if you're in there eight to 10 minutes, you probably only need water for five or six. So let's say you've installed a, a low flow shower head. We used to use five gallons per minute. Now we're using two and a half. So you've cut it in half, right? Now, what if you started using zero gallons per minute for four to five minutes of that shower, right? This is what they do on submarines. This is what my grandpa was always yelling me to, <laughs> to do at his house anyway. You know, this is, <laughs> this is a more, this is more of a, an old school conservation based shower, which is not what showers are today. Showers are this luxurious, stress relieving, you know, nice thing to do, especially in a day I'm looking out my window and it's 25 degrees outside in Brooklyn. So I will be looking forward to taking my time in the shower today. However, in water scarce areas like California, New Mexico, Central America, most of the equatorial southern hemisphere, we're talking about places where water is so scarce that comfort and, and convenience and stress release are not the key. We're talking about control and conservation of water. So our shower pedal is going to turn a automatic flow into a controlled conservative flow. The default is stop. And when you press the pedal, it comes on. So only when you press the pedal will it come out. So if you put this in gyms, you put this in hotels, you put this in school dormitories, these places where end users are not necessarily connected to the cost or the climate impact, shall we say, uh, the water footprint of their showers. Now, all of a sudden, you give them a chance to stop and start their water, really helping them reduce their water footprint. I'm impressed because you're really passionate about the subject. So I could let you flow for 20 minutes but i have to cut you because you know uh, i have to be the contrarian here <laughs> of course no please really in i was just wondering you know how did you come up with the idea of the smart shower and the smart pedal because the problem you're you're exposing is a problem many companies have addressed the problem in the sense they they identified or they, they acknowledged the problem there's water scarcity and there's a high cost of water and then there's many ways to address it and i'm, I'm wondering how did you come with that idea? So I, I would love to say that it was a completely original creative idea that I had after working long hours of brainstorming. However, in reality, it's something I experienced uh, in two separate places. I was, I'm lucky enough to have been able to travel to Europe uh, when I graduated undergrad. It must have been 2005, 2006. And then I saw a similar device in the Florida Keys when I was working in AmeriCorps. So what this device was, again, I got in the shower, turned the water on, stood there for 10 seconds, feeling like a bit of a doofus, uh, wondering why, because like, you can hear the water, right? You can hear the water flowing, and I'm like, what is going on? And I look up, and there's a sign that says, pull string for water, and above, right above my head, like you're pulling the light string in the basement or an attic, there's a little drawstring. And when you pull that string down, that's when the water comes out. So this was basically taking a water fountain, what I would see as like a water fountain approach to a shower head, right? It's requiring you to, certainly you turn on, you use the conventional tools, but it's not until you engage that secondary lever with your hand that you get the water. So I saw this again in the Keys at, at a bungalow or like a Marine Center um, nonprofit we were staying at for a few weeks. And I go, this is so great. Until you have to do all the shower stuff that you normally do with one hand. All of a sudden, this very brilliant conservation tool, you're like, okay, this is great, but now I'm going to be here an extra couple minutes because I'm trying to get you know shampoo out of my head with one hand, which I'm less good at. And so in my mind, I think, well, you, you know, take 
a sewing machine, which is purposely done at the foot pedal so that you can have two hands ready for sewing. In this case, if you just take a, that, you know, you could make a very makeshift drawstring. That's kind of a prototype I had in the garage a few years ago. It's just a drawstring to a small piece of wood. And you've ultimately done that. But what we wanted to do, we actually created a pneumatic bladder and have a small tube that runs down. So it's really connected and really tight to a mechanical spring valve. And so that's actually going to allow you to stop and start the water, but also have two hands free to do whatever you need to do in the shower. But that means your original ID dates back to that travel in 2005 or 2006, and then it evolved in your head. And when was the turning point where you said, I have to do something about that? So all the random thoughts didn't really come together in my head as, at like the transformer style until 2013, I'll say, when I had an opportunity to engage in an entrepreneurial contest with NYU, where I graduated my master's. So I was like, oh, this could actually be a good idea. And that was the first time that I realized how not flushed out this idea was, but I got a lot of great feedback. That was the first time I heard they're like, well, why don't you make a pneumatic bladder instead? And they're like, why don't you make uh, attached to an IoT app? And I took all those things down. And by 2014, 2015, I was actively seeking funding, getting bank loans, getting my LLC going. And here we are now. Yeah, I guess uh, I was lucky enough to really hone in on it in 2013 through a, a school contest, a school entrepreneur contest. No, that's interesting because it's a bit uh, this concept by, by Gary Halpert, I think, who said he was putting some stuff, some ideas into a shoebox and letting it in the shoebox, not doing anything about it. So he was taking, cutting out media pieces, papers and putting it in the shoebox. And then one day, it could be some days later or some weeks or some months, he would return to the shoebox and uh, his brain would have processed all these elements. And finally, he had the brilliant idea. And somehow that's the way our brains work. So for you, that was um, eight years. <laughs> yeah, I think I like to call it the simmering process. I see a similar thing happen with uh, albums. There's one song I love and then I'm like, oh, I, you know, I really want to rush that song. And then months later, I might go back and go, why did I never give this song a chance? And all of a sudden your tastes have changed, the flavors have kind of melded a little bit. Uh, so uh, time really does help kind of hone in and focus the idea that's really there, for sure. Now, if I go a bit fast forward to what I saw on your, on your website, what was interesting to me with your, your concept is that it's at the same time pretty low tech. I mean, as you just described, you are replacing and, and refurbishing something on, on the shower heads and you have a pedal uh, like a sewing machine. And on the other hand, it's pretty high tech because you also have that IoT element inside. So can you maybe guide us through that paradox, if I might say so? Yeah, no, I love the idea of the paradox, but also it is by design. So A, thank you for noticing that kind of the dichotomy. And that I think is one of our strengths at Wisewater or of the smart shower device, if you will. If I was to pull out my investor deck, I can show you one of our slides actually addresses that we have four different models. And those four models basically range from the most, shall I say, low end which is just our stop and start device, right? It's gonna be more durable. This is for off the grid. This is for camping. This is for RVs, right? Where there is no IoT, there's no fancy schmancy LED screen, if you will. And that's just conservation 
based. And that's also going to be our most economical option, right? So then you have something that's just the meter, right? Maybe you have a, a demographic that loves the data, loves the, because, you know, because uh, everything smart is sexy these days to investors. And, you know, if you say you have, I have the nest of XYZ, then like people go, oh, I'm, lis I'm listening, right? So if you say I have the nest of your shower, they go, okay, I'm listening. So we like to think of it like that because we are getting a bunch of control and a bunch of data. So the spectrum includes the most economical, the most basic conservation base. We have one that addresses the more trendy and while still valuable data trend where there is also the behavior nudge. And then of course the classic prototype has both, right? You'll have the stop and start feature. You'll also have an LED display in the shower. So in case you don't care or not, you're still going to see a screen or, you know, something blink or a thing that says, Hey, you use 11 minutes of water, something like that. So the end user has to hear it. In addition to an app that if you're a homeowner, facility owner, obviously you have your in-depth data that's organized on the website. And then at the most high end, you have the classic, both features, the stop and start and the IoT, but we also do like a motion sensor or a voice activated. So it'd be like Alexa helping put your shower together or even something motion sensored, kind of envisioning like a... Um, uh, the nice sinks that are like a movie theater or a lobby where you just put your hands under the water comes out. Well, if you have a rainfall shower head, you can just step under and out of, I mean, now you're talking the most seamless way of really maximizing your savings and not compromising your shower quality or comfort at all. You're literally stepping six inches left and right. It couldn't be easier to save water at that point. Well, I can fully imagine that, but you, I mentioned I have to be the contrarian, so I'm going to be Please. a bit the contrarian. And trust yeah, me, of I'm, course, I love everything that's digital, and to an extent that's sometimes it's ridiculous. Uh, my wife could tell, but sure. <laughs> uh, you, you mentioned something I'd like to deconstruct. You mentioned investors are interested if you come with uh, the nest of something. I, I think in other areas it might be the Netflix or something or the Uber of something. Hey, I was just about to say that exactly. Is it something which is a need? to raise the interest of the investors? Or do you think it's still possible nowadays to come with something which is a sturdy, low-tech product that has really no digital aspect? So you've now asked the question, are we making for the critics or for the artists, right? <laughs> uh, you've really honed in on the basic philosophy, perhaps the two types of entrepreneurs. Do you design something for the investors or do you design something for the cause? And what I like to do, what I think was the most entrepreneurial thing to do was I'm catering to both <laughs> in that uh, the suite of technologies will address a wide spectrum of demographics, right? So for every high-end Alexa or Google Assist smart shower we sell, we can get three or four low-impact shower pedals out to people in water-scarce areas, right? And if... I'm talking to some people who have zero interest in the climate change, but are all about data, then in order for me to maximize the impact of my water saving technologies, then it might do me some justice to just slightly counter my approach, read the room and say, sustainability, sustainability, have I got the newest Nest device for you? And have I got, a, I have a fun new app and just, I mean, yeah, people save water, but talk about the ESG ratings that you'll get if you put this in your hotel. You know what I mean? So I might have to pivot a little bit in my approach, but all of this is to sell shower pedals, excuse me, to sell smart showers. 
If I, the more smart showers I sell, the more water we save. End of story. And so I don't want to throw out the low cost, impactful aspect of the spectrum just because we can make more on the high end. I'm a fan of the Pareto principle addressing that. You can't just do a few people for the highest profit if you're really trying to be a sustainable entrepreneur and not be, you know, a hypocrite in that sense. You have to address the problem too. So I see a place for, and I hope I'm not burning my candle from both ends, but I do see a place for appeasing the people with who are writing the checks and also still making a difference for people who have to walk two miles a day for clean water. I hope it's not lofty, but that is the goal. Yeah. It makes full sense. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent answer to my tricky question. You know, when I saw your, your, your device, what it made me think of, you know, is um, I'm receiving every Monday morning this report from my iPhone, which tells me you've spent so much time on your smartphone. I'm like, no, no, no way. But actually, yes, I've spent that time on my smartphone. And that's the kind of thing you just don't realize because it's two minutes there, three minutes there. And somehow you're addressing these blind spots because the shower is not the place where you think I could be saving water or not spontaneously. So um, is that the aim actually to put that in the light when in our daily lives, it's a bit hidden because yeah, you just open the tap and there's water flowing. 100%. You've keyed on such a great point, Antoine, because there are so many solvable problems around us that we're not addressing. I remember when I was first getting kind of getting into the entrepreneur social clubs and, and, and engaging with these people. I remember there was a guy who had a bunch of money and I heard he was doing an endeavor and I go, Oh, what's he doing? He goes, Oh, well, one time he was out of the desert and he was out with his friends. They're having a good time. And they had a bunch of ice cream and it melted. And I was like, okay. And they go, so he's going to make ice cream that doesn't melt. And I'm like, Oh no, that seems, that seems like a waste of funds. So you're right. There's these solutions available. There's things we can fix every day. And I thought the shower is such a, a great example of one that without realizing it, it's been a convention for so long, nobody asks questions about it, you know? And your point is so accurate, exactly, is that if you didn't get that message from your iPhone, which I get to, and I always I usually grimace at the number, but if you didn't get that, you wouldn't even know, right? So what our shower pedal is doing is not only following that exact same path, but I would say we're trying to address it more in that. Now, imagine you got that little purple message after every time you used your phone. That might start to seriously affect how much you use your phone. And now what if there was a, st a separate stop and start button that could prevent you from picking up your phone, right? So you're absolutely right. We're taking that exact process of just turning an opaque process data-wise, turning it transparent, getting you, the end user, informed, and then giving you reminders whenever you do it. You know, a phone is actually great. If I had an app that, oh, I got, we should, maybe we'll work on this after this. If I had an app that said, hey, you've been on your phone for five minutes, I'd say, oh, I should probably get back to work then because it's 2.30 on a Wednesday. <laughs> I'm on my phone right now, you know? So if we could take that same approach to many things, including the shower, I think we'd be better off. So exactly, it's, it's being aware of otherwise conventionally wasteful, opaque processes and turning them into conservation-based ones because now that we realize we're dealing with precious resources, it'd be irresponsible and inhumane actually to not try to conserve said resources. Well, actually you're fighting with our cognitive BS because we, we don't see the world like it is. We see it like we, like we figure like it. Like we want it, exactly. And, uh, 
and the shower is so embedded in, in what we do in our daily lives that, uh, yeah, you don't, you don't think of it. I mean, you're spotted on the shower, but when you think of it, it's the same when you brush your teeth or, I mean, there, there are many, many places like that which are just unconscious. So it, I think it's, now I'm giving my personal opinion, but I think it's really good that you, you, you address that. So it's, it's a cool way to do your part, actually, to stay on my, on my metaphor. Um, I've seen that you're pitching and you mentioned that you, uh, you also are, have some rounds with investors. I'm wondering what's their reaction to that. I'm asking you that because I hope you're, you're comfortable uh, addressing this. I just uh, listened on a French podcast. Actually, there was a, an interview from just a new fund that was launched in France. So if it's launched in France, the chances are there are like 20 like that already in the US. I hope, but they commit to having an impact to only fund initiatives that would have an impact. And somehow that's what one of my previous guests on, the, on that same microphone, Kim Baker from Elemental, was mentioning that uh, they, they are aiming for the impact. So my question here is, can you interest any kind of investors with a product and an idea like yours? Or do you have to target specific people? Um, that's a great question. And I think you're almost talking about like two different sales approaches, right? Like, do I just cast the widest net possible and send every email to every, every person with an at in their address, or do I take more time and make it a bit more succinct? I would say having just given a pitch this morning to someone that I thought I'd knocked out of the park just to be told that they're looking to fund someone uh, for about four times the amount I'm looking for, I was like, Okay, thank you so much. Maybe that could have been taken care of beforehand, but I still got feedback. I still got experience pitching. So I don't think it's wasted. But for example, had I spent a little bit of time looking at it, didn't actually, I went back and didn't like to say that in their website, for example. But had I seen that that was something they weren't interested in, I might have said, okay, well, let's talk in. 12 to 16 months, right? So I would say, I think there is value in finding the right people. Um, I had another pitch where the judges voted me dead last, but there was an audience of, I think it was like 25 plus people who voted me as the runner up. So that lets me know there's interest, there's demand for my device in the market, but I clearly have to continue to find, I have to keep looking for potentially my right crowd, if you will. So I think there is value in looking for the people who are most in your wheelhouse, right? Like birds of a feather flock together. You're not going to have to convince somebody at Burnt Island Ventures or Elemental, it sounds like, the impact of this. You just have to convince them why you have a good business model and why I'm a good entrepreneur, right? So I would say if I'm an entrepreneur who's hungry for funding, I would put those type of people who are most aligned at the top of your funding outreach campaign. But that should just be the first step. You probably want to touch base with them every three to six months, but that should be the first step. You should have some, like a B, C, and D squad. And by the, you know, I don't want to call them D-listers, but by the time you're in your third or fourth tier, you might be looking at some general angel investors. Having said that, with people like BlackRock and Microsoft and Google and Apple making all kinds of commitments to sustainability, this is going to become a much more prevalent portion of the investment focus and the investment pool. Uh, even green bonds are about to have a bumper year. So I think a second record-breaking year, rather. So um, I think it's coming around, but if you can find someone who sees your idea before it's quote-unquote popular, I think you're in for a better growth, and I think you're in with people who are going to better appreciate you and your idea. So I would tier my funding, to answer your question minutes later, more succinctly, 
I would definitely contour my search for people who are aligned with your ideals and people who have funded people like yourself in the past. And actually at that stage in your venture, what are you looking for? What's the next step for you? So currently we are, you know, basically we're seed or maybe even pre-seed. We're looking to uh, complete a somewhat decently or, you know, a decent amount of work to finish our prototype phase, right? We have some great designs. We actually had someone who was putting a, a great physical prototype together for our product trials or our actual testing, uh, but they got, unfortunately, they, they got knocked off the path because of COVID. We're working with them internationally. So we're back in touch with people, but now that we're doing this domestically, it is going to require a bit more funding than um, we have in our quote-unquote back pockets. So we're looking for funding to get prototypes, but we're not reducing ourselves to being on only that path. I'm also trying to generate a lot of interest and perhaps some revenue through pitching. And then I'm also reaching out to places like the Monterey Peninsula Water Management District, which has the most expensive water in the country, so, so maybe the planet. And I feel like if they're on board, then that just opened up my base of investors who will now listen. You know, the sustainability at the back of the bus, did you just say Monterey, California, Pebble Beach? resort are interested? I go, yes, sir. And they go, or, yeah, or yes, ma'am. And they go, right this way, Stephen. We have, we have some cucumber water for you. So I think um, that's the sort of thing that I need funding, but I don't only, I'm not reduced to needing funding. There's a couple of ways I can get myself some funding. So once you get to the funding, once you get to the prototype running, what's your uh, intended market? Where do you intend to market your, your smart showers, the, the various models you have? Is it directly to the end users or Do you have that step in between where you aim to maybe the bigger numbers and the, the, the professionals, so more B2B than, than B2C? Definitely. Definitely first stride would be B2B, um, not only because of larger impact and larger potential sales numbers just through, you know, like franchise-based contracts or, or multi-facility contracts, um, but also if I saw a smart shower in my Planet Fitness or my Equinox, or, or sorry, sorry to name drop, or, you know, my random fitness gym center, uh, and I saw one of these, I go... Oh, how fun. And then I see the message that says, you used 30% less water than normal. I go, oh my God, how cute. All of a sudden, I might get that as a Christmas present somewhere, right? But if I just go to Home Depot and see this, I might just say, wow, they're really, they'll really put anything on the shelves these days, right? So I think the B2B approach is not only going to save a lot more fresh water because of the high amount of traffic we see in, in gyms and dorms and, and hotels over a general, you know, the average household even, but also that's going to make a much more impact financially, which means people will have more of a pain point to relieve, right? So if I have, I think I have a much better chance of selling 10,000 of these to a hotel chain than expecting to move 10,000 of these through Walmart or Lowe's or Home Depot or like that. And again, so it has to do with B2B first, uh, not only because of the impact on water savings and utility costs, but then also that should open the door and kind of that novel idea social uptake curve. I think that the B2B acceptance will help nudge that. And then we'll have the early kind of the early believers who will take it on. And then they'll be like, oh, look, this is cool. And all of a sudden it becomes, it gets to men's health. And all of a sudden this can become kind of the new shower, the step change shower technology. Well, actually, I think if you put that into places like hotels or things like that, it covers, I think, one of the, um, these crazy experiments that uh, Robert Cialdini did when he was writing his book, Influence. He was testing some messages that you can put in a hotel room, you know, so people 
don't use too much water or mm. don't uh, get yeah. their, their, their toes cleaned every day and, and so far and so on. And what he found out is that the things which is the most efficient is to tell people that 85% of the people that were having that same room before reused their towels and used less than seven minutes to shower. And that was the most effective message, much stronger than any other. And so social proof is always the one which is on top of everything because we are a tribal animal. We look at our fellow monkeys walking the streets. We, we all are, uh, still are somehow the, these monkeys and we behave like other monkeys would behave. So <laughs> to come back to your, your, your smart shower, I, I could fully imagine something, you know, you see that you're taking showers which are on average three person shorter than the one before. And then it's like your car, which tells you usually you use uh, seven gallons per mile and now you're at 6.9 and you're so proud and you're just beating yourself record. So, I mean, that works, seems to work very good with our psychology. That behavior nudge. And then if you get the positive reinforcement of the warm fuzzies that says you just reduced your shower by 1.2 gallons. You know, you're going to start your day with a chip on your shoulder now. Or if you have other shower, you know, uh, people in the hotel room says you used 20% more than the average shower taker, then you might go, oh my God, thank God no one else is in the bathroom. I'm so embarrassed. And you might all of a sudden go, oh, well, maybe I don't need to, you know, maybe I don't need to check Instagram while I'm in the shower. Maybe I can do that after, you know, and all of a sudden it's this blind spot. Like you said so well, we are putting a light on this blind spot that every, I mean, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur of a company called Wisewater making the smart shower and the shower will be on and I'll still be looking at my, you know, eyebrows or hair and like, oh my God, what am I doing? And I'll jump in the shower. So it really is an every person issue. Well, I can tell you the day you're live, I'm your first client. So I don't have to shout at my, at my daughter because she's in, in the shower for 20 minutes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the homeowners, homeowners can relate for sure. <laughs> Actually, something that impressed me when I was preparing for that interview was having a look at your your social medias and the way you interact online. And it seems to me that you are aiming for that impact in pretty everything. You were defending small businesses versus large corporations, uh, inclusive culture versus isolationism, sharing, paying forward. And I was wondering, you know, if I see that same thing from no, I'm being very cliche, so sorry. But if I see that same thing from a, an Instagram lady, I'm thinking, oh, okay, greenwashing. But here, there's a purpose which seems to go, I mean, all of these elements fit together. So is it an impression or is it something that you want to, um, you're being that change that you, you, you'd like to see? Well, of course, in my mind, as someone who's obviously drank the Steve Kool-Aid for years, I think it's the latter. But I guess it's up to everyone else to interpret that. You know what I mean? Like if I see someone, you know, if I know someone who's worked in oil all these years and then they realize that the value in solar is there and all of a sudden they mark themselves as sustainability, I'm going to say, okay, this person is just pivoting with the times. Um, but I, I would hope that when you see what I, if I'm saying something, if I, you know, if I'm coming to defend Black Lives Matters or chastising Amazon for not paying their workers better, it's because... I want it to be better and not just because I just want to sit, people say, oh, you know what? That's Steve Cohn fella. He's woke. Like, that, I, you know, I guess some people might call it white knighting or whatever, but it's really more like I can't keep my mouth shut when I see like borderline incredulous presumptions being made because I know so much of, I mean, you know, not to get to, not to get any direction, but even 
like national elections can really be swayed by the type of narrative and information that's out there. So I do fancy myself a public servant, not a hero, but when I do have a chance to share information that I know helped kind of reshape my idea about things, especially uh, about like an idea like homelessness or, or trans rights or something. If I say, hey, you probably think you're a good person, but what you're saying on LinkedIn right now is making lots of people cringe and possibly like really upset. If you th- Have you thought about it like this? You know, and, and, and as I'm saying that, I'm like, oh my God, can I just mansplain to, you know, all these listeners? But it's, I just feel compelled. I'm a bit of a, a chatterbox, I've been told, but I just feel compelled to share what has gotten me to a place that's a bit more accepting or accommodating. Because if, if we all got on the same team, you know, the elections would be working for us. So the fact that there's this infighting between a group that shall be kind of voting and asking for the same things is a little heartbreaking. So, you know, if I can take two minutes out of my day <laughs> to jump on LinkedIn and make a comment or share a link rather than say, oh, you're dumb and I'm smart, that's not so helpful. But if I can say, hey, you know, the UN actually talks about this in this article, I'd like to think I'm making a difference, but it could just be a little bit of back padding for myself too. I think that's the way that we do differences nowadays. Uh, we were addressing that on a totally different topic, but with Bjorn Otto in, in the previous interview, we were talking about employee advocacy. And one of the bottom lines of employee advocacy is that people just don't believe brands and corporations anymore. People believe people, hopefully still in some cases, but your best chances actually come from people telling something to people rather than governments, corporations, even NGOs saying things, because we live in that in that world of the doubt all the time. So I think we, we're still on that pattern that we're exploring since since the beginning. It's about doing your part. And if everyone does his part, well, the society can be only better. So Yeah. And if I'm doing right by society, then I don't need to make a $4 trillion commercial on the Super Bowl talking about I'm doing right by society. People will know it and they'll go buy my product because they see the impact I'm making. And so I'm hoping to do, I'm hoping to kind of lead by example and lead by results and not lead by a huge marketing campaign that makes people think we're making results, ideally. Well, talking of impact, you know, there's this last question I, I like to ask in, in, in the deep dive, which is to play with, with my crystal ball. And um, let's make a dream. What do you see in, in five years? What do you see with, uh, with your smart shower, with wise water, with, with yourself? Where do you see this venture? Where does it head? Very cool. I love, I, I love looking into the future because everything that I think always totally happens. Uh, no, um, uh, I would say in five years, again, since we're just playing the game, in five years, I would like to see Wisewater possibly no longer even selling directly B2B or B2C. We will have gotten a airlock type patent and we'd be licensing to people who are even better equipped and have a larger impact and are getting the Wisewater technology into a variety of companies, showerheads, Moen, Kohler, American Standard. Please give me a call, my, my, uh, you know, my contacts at the end. But ideally, we would be licensing the smart shower technology. We will have moved on to a second or even third endeavor. Again, more things to put in the tool belt for people who are unfortunately going to be forced to deal with the changes of uh, climate or the consequences of climate change since the powers that be aren't really addressing it. So we'd like to continue to do things that keep people comfortable, keep people healthy, and just use less of our most precious resources, energy and water. And then after that, the reason Wise Water exists is because 
you can't live without water. You know, it wouldn't be ideal. It, it, it would kill my social life, but we can live without energy, right? I watch these amazing videos of these guys who make pools and castles out of dirt and water and sticks. It's phenomenal. And they do not have internet access, but they have tons of water. So Wise Water is here to save our most precious resource. Next in line after water, I would really love to get into mangroves. Uh, as I understand it, mangroves are possibly not a panacea or a silver bullet, but as far as addressing a large swath of the problems that people are seeing climate-wise, that's obviously carbon in the water, that's water pollution, that's a lack of uh, fishery uh, content, all that stuff. Uh, it seems like mangroves are going to do an amazing job, and also just taking carbon out of the air. Uh, I think that's something that Wise Water might either address or partner with other groups like the Mangrove Action Project and do phenomenal work as a volunteer with them. Um, I would love to continue to just address and pivot to whatever the most pressing and or impactful endeavor we can address, whatever that may be in five years. Well, that's at the same time ambitious and uh, a beautiful target, I'd say. So um, I'd be very glad to open you the microphone in, in five years or even before to check how that turned out because it sounds fascinating. Sure. <laughs> we'll see how feasible, but certainly fascinating now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, if you dream too low, uh, you're going to achieve too low as well. So uh, very good point. you have to, to aim for the moon to go somewhere. Yeah, I have, I have real life for reality. I, I dream for fun, yeah. <laughs> the dream should be fun. <laughs> Actually, Stephen, uh, if it's good for you, I'd like to switch to the rapid-fire questions. That sounds like a plan. It's time for the rapid-fire questions. So in this last section, I'm trying to keep the questions short, and uh, I'd like you to keep the answers short as well, but I'm not cutting the microphone, so if you want to be a bit longer, don't limit yourself. <laughs> okay, gotcha. I'll try to keep it snappy. My first question is, what is the most exciting project you've been working on and why? Uh, most exciting project? Well, definitely. I mean, obviously, it's with the Smart Shower, but specifically, I'm working with STEM Hero and the Brooklyn Technical High School. We might have some youngsters who are way smarter than me coding our back end, but also we have some multifamily housing. Uh, we have some students who live in multifamily housing who don't have a way to measure their water. And STEM Hero literally wants to incorporate our device into their curriculum for these kids to have a way to measure a shower. So that is for sure a very real and visceral way that we can make an impact. Definitely the most interesting thing I'm working on right now. Sounds very interesting, actually. So yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite part of your current job, which might be that same project? <laughs> That's such an interesting question. I think my favorite part is the question and answer, like this is a question and answer, this is great. But my favorite part is question and answer from investors after I make my pitch. That to me is the most, that's like pay dirt. Even obviously you're always waiting for them to say, oh, this is the best idea ever. Here's millions of dollars. That tends to not happen every time, but you're also going to get extremely valuable feedback. You're going to hear what your pitch is missing. You're going to hear what you may or may not be bringing in your presentation or in your persona. And also you start to hear what the focal points of these investors are. So you might come back in three or six months and say, hey, this, this, and this has changed, you know, as they say, how you like me now, but it's such a wealth of information and it shows you your weak points and shows you how to improve for the next time. So to me, that's, there's no better learn. I'm so early on in the stage. There's no better learning opportunity than hearing criticism and questions from a potential investor. 
Actually, uh, pardon the question. It's really for the stupid. I've never pitched, so I, I don't know at all. Do you have sometimes weird answers uh, or weird questions that you think, oh, whether you explained really in, in a bad way or those guys didn't drink enough coffee this morning? Oh, it's, I literally thought I go, oh no, am I in the wrong place? <laughs> like, am I I'm like, oh no, is this like, like a meet, is this like a library meeting or something? And because I had this guy, this guy's a nice guy um, and he means well and he's putting together, a, you know, a, a pitch contest. So I can't blame him. But this is the same place where the judges did not think I was any good and the audience voted me second. And I got my feedback. And not only was the guy like, uh, well, I can't believe it, but, you know, Wisewater gets the honorable mention because you got runner up. And I was like, thanks. But he goes, maybe if you put some hot air at the end, then it won't be so cold. And I was like, okay, puff of hot air at the end, duly noted. You know what I mean? And then you just crumple that note up and throw it over your shoulder. This is clearly not your people, right? I'm not going to get mad at this guy for not understanding my concept, but it lets you know, I'll just circle back, why you don't just pitch to anybody. Because they'll be like, what do you mean? My shower works fine. You know, say, okay, thank you for your time. Have a great day. Keep moving. Don't waste your time. That's a dry well, you know? So it helps you, you know, I've, thankfully I've been uh, single enough and been in sales enough that I'm, I'm okay with a no. And I just keep, you, 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 you find the, the yeses that you don't have to work so hard for. And those are the people who are just going to maybe just get it a little bit better. It's interesting. It, it raises two things in me. First, it's this aspect of knowing who your people are. I mean, if your people are everybody, then there's they are nobody as well. So it, it's important to know to whom you're talking. And the second thing is much more prosaic. It's, it's um, I don't know if, if it's the same in the US, but in France, it, it's like that. When a movie comes out, if the press says it's a nice movie, you know it's going to flop. And the other way around. If the press tells that movie is really the worst ever, then sometimes it also flops. But good chances that actually that works pretty fine. So th there's a disconnect between what specialists think and what people think. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And to me, it's, you know, you don't want to say, oh, well, the people get it. So all these judges are stupid. You have to think, okay, well, the people got it. So there's promise. Why didn't these judges get it? You know, I, everything's a learning experience. All, all feedback is useful. So let me move to the next one, which is what, what is the, the thing you care about the most when you're working on a new project and what is the one you care the least? That's a great question. What kind of impact is this going to leave, right? Like to be completely selfish about it, right? I would love to save, I would love to smart shower was successful. I, you know, I become wealthy. I can kind of do, you know, I, I get to self-actualize in my personal life. Millions of gallons of water are saved and millions of cost utilities. So businesses have it easier. Families who are hard up have it easier. People have to walk, you know, uphill, you know, for water, just all these type places, all those people would be better. But if I knew on my, you know, towards the end of my life that the impact that I made was that I helped, I helped catalyze the savings of all this water that we all agree is such a shared resource. To me, that's kind of at the end of the day, what does it for me? So I'd like to say impact, like what kind of ripple effect can, can I make? But ultimately, I think it's also very much ego. <laughs> it's kind of just ego driven. Like how big, an, I have one, I'm one guy with two hands and one life. And I, I've decided I want to help people. And the arena is climate change. That's the thing you, you care the most. And what's the one you care the least? Um, how to pay for it. <laughs> um, you know, that's, that's, I'm like, oh my God, can somebody just give me money? You know, and that's something I'm going to have to learn the nuances of. 
and something that I'm going to have to focus on because the better I get at paying for things, the more likely they are to happen. So, uh, yeah, that's, and I, I say that I care the least about it because I have the most to learn. So, uh, it's next on my list of things to address. Interesting one. What is the trend to watch out in the water industry? We're going to get away from wasteful water in every capacity. Think about the, like I mentioned earlier, think about how you wash your hands in a, I, I always say a movie theater because it seems to be the, or like a hotel lobby, something like kind of a fancy building. You have that sensor under your, under the sink. It's touchless. There's even, a, you have a thing right next to it a lot of times for the soap. So it's completely touchless and it's completely, completely, you utilize every drop of water. If your hands aren't under there, there's no water, right? So we're going to take the same approach to the shower head, obviously that we're doing now, but the same approach is going to be taken to kitchen sinks, Kohler, I think Moen already made a, a faucet. We can say one cup of water and it doesn't give you one drop more, one drop less. You have your, your little measuring cup ready, cup of water. And then with toilets, if you're, you know, hang out with the nerds that I do, you already know that when you have, you know, when we make our, you know, our tiny home or we make our getaway home eventually, one of our toilets will most likely be a composting toilet, right? So you might even see waterless toilets, like you might see in a urinal, but full capacity waterless toilets. So I think what we're going to see is instead of doing these grandiose projects like trying to suck carbon out of the air or trying to, you know, Although that's important, and so is redoing nuclear, like updating nuclear. I think we're going to see a lot more updating of old things because that's, I mean, if this one I learned in public policy, that's low hanging fruit. Rather than put trillions of dollars in more desalinization plants, why don't we do everything we can to reduce the freshwater demand first? You know, it's like replacing all your incandescent bulbs with LED bulbs before you put. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, do you have sources to recommend to keep up with the water and wastewater market? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm still looking myself. There's always more things that are coming out. There's even a bunch of new places that are specifically for like pre-seed and pre-revenue water ventures. So there's always new stuff coming out. But right now, I'm, I stick to LinkedIn and the news for a lot of clean tech stuff. Water usually falls under there. Um, and then, of course, like entrepreneur magazine just google alerts for water kind of all that basic stuff no uh no fancy tricks of the trades there for you sorry <laughs> i'm not aiming for the fancy I'm, i'm aiming for the efficient and i think the sources you recommend sound efficient yeah a little bit of everything <laughs> yeah google linkedin that's the majority of it right there i think the best source in our industry often is common sense. So uh, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you, you gave that answer. And no offense to the guys, but it's you're neither team GWI or team Blue Tech. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm still I'm open source still. <laughs> Would you have someone to recommend that we should definitely invite on that same microphone? Hmm. I've been talking to, and now I'm going to forget her name, but I'm really hoping to work farther with a group, they're a startup and they're getting bigger soon, Farm From a Box. Have you heard of this? Nope. Uh, sorry, sorry, I have to give you my Jay Leno version. Have you heard of this? Um, so it's basically a, what we would call a sea can or a sea container, one of these like nine by 12 by 12 long, large shipping containers. And basically inside of that is a complete control panel for a farm including a little bit of solar power, all your soil testing and your water maintenance technology. So we would love to slap our smart 
pedal basically we you know it'd be contoured towards a more outdoor uh capacity but we'd love to use our technology on that device so agriculture is a huge place for water conservation so um i think farm from a box might be someone really cool uh to talk to because she's farther along than i am uh, that's the ceo i'm speaking of it and her name eludes me right now sadly she's farther along than i am and she's talking to people where water scarcity is a huge issue. That's why they're her. It's so valuable, actually. I'll have a look. Sounds, sounds really interesting. Stephen, it's been a pleasure. If people want to uh, call you or to, uh, to contact you after this interview, where should I redirect them? Um, well, the first place to go would be check out my website, which is www.smartshower.us. On there is my contact information. If you want to shoot me an email just to get some more information, you can uh, email me at steve at smartshower.us. And then lastly, you can give me a call uh, if you wanted to talk, you know, for something relatively pressing or important, hint, hint, funding. Uh, please give me a call at 917-719-6573. And uh, just say hello. I'd love to hear from anyone, really. Well. I'm going to put all those details also in the in the episode notes. It's been really a pleasure. I think you're addressing a field which I, I have to say I wouldn't have thought of myself. I mean, really one of these blind spots of the everyday. But at the end of the day, that's what what matters. So uh, thanks a lot for that, and thanks a lot for all these insights and the the lovely conversation we had. Antoine, thank you so much for this opportunity. I love, love, love what you're doing. You're giving a voice to these uh, very, uh, not to put myself in the box, but I've heard your other people, other guests, and they're phenomenally smart and impactful people. So thank you for this opportunity and looking forward to uh, talking to you in the future. We'll, we'll check back in in a year or two. Thanks a lot. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Antoine. Thanks for listening to Don't Waste Water. This podcast was brought to you by GF Piping Systems. Loved this episode? Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. See you next time.